tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party. Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free comedy to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is My Kind of Weird, a podcast where two people swap and pitch three pieces of media, something watchable, something readable, and something listenable. To see if each person says at the end of the pod, that's My Kind of Weird. I'm your host, Anthony Pollock, and joining us today is Aaron Samet, a graphic designer by day and the creator of the indie comic book series Morris and the Metal. Aaron, are you ready to get weird with me today? I am. I am ready. Thanks for having me. Now, Aaron, present your something watchable. It's uh, a show that's just come out on Disney Plus, and it's more about just talking about it because the show hasn't finished. And of course, obviously, I'm talking about uh, WandaVision. Okay. Yep. Wanda and Vision. Aren't we a five pair? This is our home now. I want us to fit in. Oh, this is going to be a gas. Where did Just you because it, it seems like such a, a weird thing for Marvel and Disney to do with uh, two lovable characters from the Avengers. Mm-hmm. And uh, like where you think the plot's going, whether or not you're happy with what you've seen so far, and just to make just what you make of the show. Well... The funny thing is, I actually haven't seen it yet, so right, okay. <laughs> so I can only really talk for for what I've seen and read and sort of uh, trailers and whatnot. But from what I can see, it looks the lo- looks like the right type of quirky. Am I dead? No. Why would you think that? Because you are. It looks like they're sort of. At least I'm hoping they're going to build up to a uh, the event, which was the the House of M, which is basically where Wanda recreated the world from the ground up and did the whole no more mutants thing. But um, so far it looks it looks like a whole bunch of fun. What was your yep. sort of take with the first episode? Um, the the first episode just made me really nostalgic for um, like a fifties sitcom. Uh, like the I Dream a Genie, um, and they, they mm. were doing that so well. Um, uh, mm. Just seeing uh, Paul Bettany uh, in that kind of role as the Dick Van Dyke esque character, it's uh, it, they've mm. done it so so amazingly. Uh, they've put a little bit of intrigue in there, and I'm sure there's some Easter eggs that comic fans are going nuts for. Uh, but yeah, it just made yeah. me nostalgic for that kind of show rather than. You know, what are we watching? Is it a dream? Is it uh, a simulation? Is it a, um, you know, is it a prison that they're in? Uh, it's just, it's really strange. And I can't get over the fact that the, they're doing that to these characters. But if it's linking up to uh, like a bigger world and a world that uh, is Wanda, like she's she's built herself, then that, that sounds okay. Because I've been going through, there's going to be a plot twist. There's going to be a twist for sure. Um and what is it? Am I going to be okay with it, or am I going to be disappointed? And I think that's that's an exciting show to watch. Yeah, yeah. Um, I specifically like how they they seem to be leaning more into the the aspects of a character that the comic books have always sort of triumphed. So 
her being able to control the laws of probability seems to be something they're leaning into. Um, am I correct or no? Uh, yeah, yeah, you are because um, like vision, vision's role in this is 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 kind of secondary as far as like superhero abilities go because he seems like he's lost even some sense. You know, uh, it's a, a much more fun version hmm. of vision. Uh, and Wanda, at some points of the episode, she's looking around and knows something's wrong, but she can't pick right. it up. And uh, yeah, yeah. And then they cut away to like an end sequence, and not not to give away any spoilers, but yeah, they're definitely building up. And what what they're doing in the show though is the first two episodes were that fifties vibe, uh, the black and white, and then the third episode's a color, so it's like we're getting into the sixties type of sitcom. Yep. Uh, and then I, I imagine the next couple of episodes might go to the seventies and. Uh, I imagine that this is how Wanda imagined her perfect life would be when she was growing right. up, like yeah. her parents yeah. starting out. Um, but yeah, just just to see a bit of humor from Vision as well, because he's always been such a stoic, no nonsense mm-hmm. character. Yeah, um, and I think the humor is something that the Marvel, the the MCU, do really well, and it's good to see them doing it with this character. It's interesting. Yeah, it's it's been a great show. It's interesting to see how they got the um, uh, the woman that plays the mum. In uh, in that seventies show, does she does she play yeah. a primary part, or is she just sort of a secondary character, or what's what's her role in it? Uh, she's a secondary character, uh, but when she was in the show, um, you know, she was acting as if she was acting in a yeah. show. You know, she was her acting was so bad that she was kind of breaking that mm. that wall. Um, and you know they they were looking at the camera, they were looking at the characters, and there was silence, and it was really awkward. Like I can't get over how D- Disney's doing this or letting this happen, and um, and it's just the backlash on the internet, like the people complaining that it's in black and white. I went, just go and watch something else. <laughs> it's crazy. It's not like it didn't prepare them for it. I mean, aren't, isn't half the trailer exactly. black and white? And yeah, I think most of the trailer, mm-hmm. apart from the flash of the Marvel, Marvel logo, that's all we get is a nice yeah, bit of red. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I love how the internet just goes. You know, I'm not up. I'm upset about this. I want to. I want to yeah. tell somebody. But I, like, I'm loving everything I'm seeing on the yeah. show uh, much more than I thought I would because I just didn't know what to make of the trailer. And I think that level of intrigue is always good when you're starting out to watch. So when something. I saw the trailer, I kind of got a bit nostalgic when the because the trailer plays around with the aspect ratio. So uh, for those playing at home that aren't really familiar with that terminology, so the the not the widescreen that we enjoy today, the sort of the narrower sort of ratio or aspect ratio of what we used to enjoy way back in the day with uh, before yeah. digital TVs. So. Does that continue on through the show? Uh, it does. Uh, I think the start of the first episode, they, they're having that almost like it's almost a square, uh, but then it does fill out, but you're not really sure of it happening. Like they, they do it mm. subtly. And uh, I kind of want my house to look like Wanda, Wanda's <laughs> house, like WandaVision. Yeah. The, the furniture in it is just amazing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and not the tacky version of the, the 60s or the 50s, but uh, yeah. And uh, she was she's doing things in there that her character or her super the superhero abilities she's doing stuff that she can't do outside of this this fake world. Mm. Um, some of them so hokey, like a joke where she's she's overcooked the turkey for this dinner, <laughs> and she twists her hands as a rewind, and then it turns into a bunch yep. of eggs. Um, so it's such a hokey fifties joke, but they. I don't know why it's working. I really don't. Yeah, 
Gotcha. Yeah. But you'll have to give it a watch and we'll um, uh, connect on email later on and uh, I'll see what Excellent. you think of it. Now, my something watchable is uh, Memento. I have this condition. A condition? It's my memory. Amnesia. No, 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 no. It's different from that. Which is a, uh, a movie that... Uh, Spends a lot of time, I guess, playing with the idea of uh, short-term memory loss. I think it's short-term memory loss. So I always get the two mixed up. But it stars this yep. this guy that has uh, basically he can't remember anything for more than a day, I believe it is. And uh, I, I I did watch the film, and it's it's fifteen minutes. It's fifteen minutes, is it? Yeah, yeah. 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 That's how that's how long it's been for me. Since my injury, I can't make new memories. Everything fades if we talk for too long i'll forget how we started next time i see you i'm not gonna remember this conversation what's the last thing that you do remember my wife that's sweet dying so it's 15 minutes he he, so he tattoos everything on on his body and because he can't remember anything sort of beyond that 15 minutes he is sort of trying to bit by bit uh, try and figure out sort of the mystery behind what actually happened to him. Uh, I believe who his wife is, and uh, then also other sort of which seem to be nefarious individuals in in the uh, in the film itself. It's a little strange how there's random Matrix actors throughout the film. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I t- <laughs> if I remember correctly, the guy, I can't remember his name, but the, the one who betray, or at least tries to betray the the Matrix crew on the Nebuchadnezzar yeah. uh, in the first film, he's in it for some reason. I think it might be, is it Cypher or something like yes, that? Cypher, his, his character yeah. name is, yeah. 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 And, uh, and Carrie, then, Carrie Ann Moss is in there as well. Yeah, no, yeah, Kennedy which... Which is sort of the on again and off again girlfriend in this as well. So, yeah, I would say um, check this out for anyone who who's uh, sort of into, uh, I guess, what the fuck when it comes to stories and scripts and just playing around with uh, different sorts of ideas. Um, to sort of sum up my pitch for this for anyone to check out Memento, I lent it to an old roommate of mine prior to getting married and he returned it uh, when I was away. I came back and I went into my room and it had the DVD was sitting there with this little slip in the case saying, this is fucked up. So <laughs> if, uh, if that's, I, I don't know any other better way than to sum up this. Um, yeah, no, I, mean, I, I, did, I did rewatch it. I probably watched it about 16 years ago. Um, mm. like it's a Christopher Nolan movie. It's like, I think it's his first major and it's still an indie. Uh, he did it mm. on a shoestring budget. I, I think it's an amazing film because it, it, it is chopped in half. Uh, yeah. half of it is in black and white, uh, that's uh, in the past and his future is kind of, they're reconnecting. But, uh, I watched it 16 years ago and I know like I was familiar with like film techniques, but Christopher Nolan, what he does in this film uh, sets out like the idea of memories being something that can fade. And the start mm. of the movie starts with the character taking a photo on a Polaroid and then shaking it. Uh, but it goes yeah. reverse. So the photo's there and it slowly disappears. And yeah. uh, he uses that as a metaphor for the idea of memories fading. Uh, and there's this great sequence in the film where the color 
uh, storyline is catching up with the black and white storyline. And uh, it, it happens that way with the Polaroid where he's shaking it and the color comes out and then all of a sudden you're watching the color version, like the, 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 the past is caught up with his future and, um, such a strange movie. Like you don't know who to root for. I don't know who the protagonist was, the antagonist was. It's it is a confusing film, uh, but once you you sit with it and go, okay, you do have to focus. You do have to imagine what it would be like to have short term memory loss. I, I think it's yeah. an amazing movie. It's an amazing film. Yeah, I do too. I mean, if anything, it just goes to speak to Christopher Nolan's talent because he also wrote the screenplay for it. Yeah. Um, so and to be, you know, to uh, the fact that it is considered a major film is just complete bonkers and really just sort of blurs the line between what is a considered a major film and I guess what is a indie film. I think yeah. it was just really just an indie film, but it had like major, major distribution. Yeah. 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 Um, um it's crazy, but so, so good. Everybody should watch it. Like if you think you're a film buff and you want to like just watch a movie that's it's kind of Christopher Nolan bases movies on like a film technique and then starts forward, you know, like mm. Inception feels like that would have been a cool idea and they make a story around it. Yeah. He also, um, you know, there's actors throughout. I mean, if you're not going to watch it for that, then it's great to sort of watch just to see sort of the smorgasbord of random actors sort of thrown in the mix. I mean, yeah. you've got sort of uh, Georgia Fox is in it that plays Leonard's wife, who uh, that's the guy that um, Guy Pierce plays. By the way, Guy Pierce is in it. Yeah. Um, Georgia Fox was in, uh, I believe it was CSI, at, this, at least in the first couple of seasons. I mean, you've got Mark Boone Jr. who plays the the sort of crooked cop at the in uh, Batman yeah, Begins, yeah. and yeah. I mean, it's just it just goes on forever. There's just so many faces that you'll that you'll recognize. So yeah. that that is my pitch. Yeah, and uh, Guy Pearce is an amazing actor in this, and I don't know why he wasn't the next big you know, actor to come out of uh, Australia. Like he did a couple of movies, but he he deserved a lot more than what he got. Yeah, I feel like the two kind of main actors that really just get shafted when it comes to any kind of accolades is definitely uh, Guy Pearce and probably Naomi Watts is the other one. So Yeah, I think so too. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's strange. Yeah. So... Uh, that's something watchable. What is your something readable, Aaron? Uh, I went with uh, Garth Ennis' uh, A Walk Through Hell. Yep. Um, it's It starts out as kind of um, there's intrigue, there's a warehouse that this, um, these two FBI agents have walked into and they haven't come out. Uh, a SWAT team goes in to, to get them and they come out in five minutes, you know, terrified look on their face. And they uh, mm. commit suicide in the back of the SWAT van. Uh, and then yes. two other FBI agents uh, are brought in to try and investigate what's going on. And uh, yeah. when they do walk through, uh, it, the back the back jacket of the book says, uh, so these two FBI agents walk into a warehouse. And it sounds like the start of a really, really corny joke. Uh, but yeah. inside this warehouse is uh, kind of a, a walkway or a portal to hell. Uh, and it just gets crazier and crazier the more nightmarish things that they have to see before they are faced with the antagonist of the story. Um, mm. I, I love Garth Ennis's work. Um, you know, you can tell that this guy does his research when he's writing a story uh, rather than just plotting out a whole bunch of cool stuff to show somebody and then making a story around it. Uh, yeah. His dialogue's witty. 
The dialogue's snappy as well, which I really like, and each character sounds like they've got their own voice. Um, and, and you could get lost in reading it because there's a lot of FBI agents and they all dress the same. They've all got the same stern faces and stern names. And uh, But, yeah, it, it, it really it really pushed like there were some like horrific scenes in the in the in the comic and to not get scared while you're reading a comic but just to have that fear that um it's not is it perdition you know that place between heaven and hell is that what it's called uh oh yeah um you mean sort of like uh oh it's not really perdition as such it's kind of like um no, there's uh, a name for it yeah, and, and anyway, this, yeah. this is what this kind of world that they've walked into is, and uh, slowly they it reveals that one of their latest uh, cases has come back to haunt them. So mm. I don't want to give any anything else away about the story, uh, but there is just some just some crazy messed up scenes in this book where you go, this no normal human should be thinking about this, and the fact that Garth is, we don't have to now. Uh, and it's yeah. kind of got an FBI vibe about it. I mean, uh, uh, X Files vibe about it as well, uh, just with the, the yeah, two characters, yeah, yeah. the male and female character. Uh, but yeah, yeah, well, the uh, sort of Mulder and Scully sort of yeah, trope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and uh, yeah. they're they're even though they're seeing this horrific stuff, they're still um, trying to keep a straight face. You know, trying to keep their their wits about them. I mean, there's a sequence where they they wake up after being unconscious for how long in this warehouse. And they, but just for some reason, take their pulse and they can't find a pulse. Um, mm. And the guy starts growing a beard. Uh, they don't know how long they've been in there for. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. Really good comic. Really good series. Yeah, if you can get check out volume one and two. I think it's uh, interesting how with almost all of Garth Ennis's work, it's always either a commentary on uh, sort of the culture mm. of, of where we're at or it's set against a backdrop of something sort of more sinister. It's interesting how at this, now I've only read the first issue, but um, it's interesting how at the start of that first issue, issue he's, he's clearly using it as a drop a backdrop of, you know, who uh, yep. ex-president inciting sort of, you know, uh, uh, sort of racial, um, uh, racial sort of war between, you know, different different sides. Um, yeah. The left and the right uh, arguments. Um, you know, kind of trying to militarize his followers. You know, um, uh, yeah. whether even though he was unsuccessful. Um, so it's interesting how that is used as sort of a sort of not really a metaphor, but to sort of make a point that the world is quite screwed up right now this is something that's going to take it to the next level yeah um i mean if that's not enough for you the fact that that you know a baby basically gets shot in the face in the sort of the, the second or third page should really say that this is uh this is something something different um yeah. i don't think it's definitely not not like any of garth ennis's earlier work if you're expecting sort of the boys you're not going to get this here it's no. uh but it sort of has that kind of edgier sort of feel um and i guess tone that ennis likes to to sort of leave and imprint on his work so um at least that's there too yeah yeah I mean, we don't. You don't get the the kookiness, the kind of off the wall vibe that you get with the preacher, or uh, no, with, yeah. Uh, but there, there are still. This is definitely. It's 
quintessential Garth. Like you're not going to misplace his his dialogue and the the, the structure of the story. Uh, There's yeah, no love sausage in this uh, comic book, is what you're trying <laughs> no, to say, Aaron. That's exactly right. No, no. no. Uh, but it does mess you up as much as what you know reading the preach does as well. And um, you know the fact that he could do that with you know panel to panel story mm-hmm. like this. It's uh, it's yeah. I mean, it, you know the the illustrator Goran. Uh, mm. I think he worked with him in the past as well. Uh, yeah, just the, the whole book's great from start to finish. Now, we don't usually use this as sort of like a, an opportunity to sort of sing the praises, but uh, how good is Aftershock Comics, though, really? Like just all of their stuff. It's just I, I, I don't think I've really come across anything that I haven't Anything liked. bad. Yeah. yeah. But do they, they keep in the same vibe as well, right? Like you, you're not going to get a yeah. kid's book, a kid's book yeah. or something fluffy from an Aftershock. Like everything in their roster is kind of this level. Um, yeah, well, I think – what they've, I mean, a lot of their their sort of their crew and I guess their writers are uh, X like Image, X Marvel, X DC, but that aren't haven't really you know gone that sort of far right comic skate route. They've gone more the sort of uh, we just want to write you know sort of gritty adult comic books. Yeah. So, and I guess a lot of them just deal with more sort of complex stuff and more there's more fangs to their sort of uh, the material. Yeah, um, without a doubt. Not just yeah. teeth. So, yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a good segue into my something readable. So mine is uh, King of Nowhere Issue 1, which is out through Boom Studios. Now, King of Nowhere, um, uh, how, how should I put this? It is sort of a... A uh, it's a story about this sort of, for lack of a better term, this alcoholic douchebag who's on a bender and ends up in this town which seems to be populated by anthropomorphic sort of creatures and things like that. As the story progresses into the other issues, you find out that this town and you saw, sort of from the start you kind of feel like, oh, okay, this this is like a, you know, the the last town on the earth after it's sort of almost like an apocalyptic kind of uh, thing that's just happened, but it's not like that at all. turns out that the town is actually one big government experiment. They're just, you know, sort of dumping chemicals and all that type of stuff and the anthropomorphic creatures that you're seeing are in fact, it's not anthropomorphism at all. It's just, you know, people have mutated that way. So it's kind of, so there's that and there's also... Uh, murders that are starting to happen around this sort of this odd sort of looking town, and we find out that the murders are from this would be assassin who's been hired by I guess the military to get rid of this guy who is the protagonist who's woken up after a you know you know a weekend long bender in this town. So it's quite interesting in the way that how it sort of uh, blends different types of oddities uh, with sort of American culture. There's uh, very much a feeling in sort of the later issues that it's almost like a um, sort of like a uh, like a westerns kind of siege, a la sort of 
walk a Texas Ranger or something like that, trying to, you know, um, stand up for the town and all those sorts of things. Yeah. But the most interesting part about the story is that uh, there's this narrative of the the protagonist. He's quite sort of damaged as an individual. He's an alcoholic. He's got addictions. And he's given this opportunity to sort of go back to his family. And he doesn't because he knows that uh, to do so would just put them in harm's way and damage them because he just can't let go of his issues. So it's uh, all sorts of interesting like that. If you're wanting to read a comic book that has sort of traditional-looking panels, you're not going to get that in this. In fact, it feels on certain pages like it's kind of just a like a big canvas um, of just kind of weird imagery. So um, that's what I liked about the story. The, the most was uh, mm-hmm. the, the the panels, the, the illustration of themselves. They're, uh, they're almost like a sketch with really uh, thick black, um, you know, scratchy yeah. black ink, but then uh, watercolour all the, over the um, all over the page. Like yes. If you you can yeah. see the cover as well. But I, I think that really lends itself to the first couple of pages where, the character doesn't know whether or not he's in a uh, a bad trip or a dream, and he's kind of going mm-hmm. along with it, even though there's characters with uh, you know eight arms and uh, yeah. a salmon head. Character. <laughs> and, uh, the, the bartender was the weirdest one, just because his whole face had been uh, flipped upside down. Yes, um, yes, because yeah. he yeah. was looking at it like this is completely normal, and uh, yeah. I, I kind of like that st- part of the story where I didn't know how he got there. Uh, why he's not freaking out more. Um, but uh, like you say, he, he is messed up. He's got a lot of mental issues. And for him to become completely comfortable with this kind of thing going on, he's obviously got some deep-seated, uh, you know, things in his past. And, and, mm. and the way they reveal that bit by bit is it's it's intriguing. It's it's great. It's a really great comic. Thanks for recommending that one, Anthony. No worries. And I think it – you spoke about the discussion with the bartender who has an upside upside down face. Mm. Um, uh, that's that's probably the best sort of discussion in the entire series. It's uh, he's uh, just you know he's trying to sort of he's got an upside down face and he's saying to the guys just kind of like you need to sort out, out your problems, buddy. And yeah. he's like, yeah, 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 okay, whatever, man. Upside yeah. upside yeah. down. When head, a bartender right? with an upside down face is telling you that you know you've got issues. Yeah, um, but yeah, even though he thought he was in a dream, he still helped out that guy he becomes friends with. So mm-hmm. I think there is like, even though this character is completely flawed, there is some there's some ray of hope. Uh, and I, I I read through the whole series, um, and, and like you did start like you hate this character in the first couple of comics, the first couple of issues, and then you know you can see why he is the way he is. Um, mm-hmm. But one thing I liked about the comic as well is uh, there were like big sprawling panels in some pages where you got to see the townspeople and they're all mutated, yeah. but they yes. all look like they're just getting on with it. You know, they're not upset. They're just kind of living their life. Yeah. 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 And there's a married couple in there. Uh, a bird is married to a fish. Sure. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we live, we live in the age of Bojack Horseman. So, I mean, at this point, I don't think that's exactly yeah. kind of, uh, well, which is speaks volumes for the body of work. It's kind of that juxtaposition of complete sort of uh, odd 
kind of uh, absurdism, ab- yeah. absurdism, sorry, and against sort of just a story about this guy that's really trying to find himself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, if you were to put it into like a caption, it would be like an Alice in Wonderland type. This character has just fallen down the rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, definitely. It, was, it was really good. Really great comic. So, Aaron, let's move on to your something listenable. Uh, yeah. Um, the the band is Maserati, and the album is Inventions for the New Season. Uh, yep. Maserati were a, a, an American band. Uh, they do post-rock, uh, but all instrumental. And uh, okay. the reason why I got back into it after... I probably would have listened to this, you know, mid-2000s. Uh, the album came out in 2007, so uh, around then, uh, and just just loved every minute of it. And it recently came back in my playlist, and I forgot how great this song was. Uh, the Inventions, the first track off this album. Uh, I love music that like takes me to a different place, and I get to see like a like a, a visual of what the music would feel like. Uh, and if you get to see them play live on your YouTube, I don't think they're actually touring anymore, obviously. Uh, but yeah, it's spacey, echoey, the feedback. Uh, in the, the mid 2000s, there were a lot of bands doing uh, poly rock. Yep. Uh, where it was all maths based and all the, the riffs were intertwined but separate. And uh, it, it's really great. Uh, just the, it's, it's the song whenever I start like a really massive road trip, I'll put Inventions on by Maserati and it's got uh, the, the drums. Uh, just thumping the whole way and uh, the guitars just looped and echoes and feedback. It's kind of like a, if it was a bad trip, it would be like a bad 80s outrun Miami Vice type trip. Uh, it's, it's something else. And uh, I played it for my eight-year-old son and now he loves it as well. I, I, I don't know where the, the boundary is for know you can like anything you can just give this a go uh it pumps you up for work as well that's what i like about this these tracks um did you have a listen to it anthony i did it kind of sounds like isis if isis were playing and i'm talking about the band isis not the terrorist organization (laughs) yeah um yeah i kind of live by that kind of that mantra of think about the band that you listen to and think about the name of the band and maybe think about whether you should wear that T-shirt or not. And I feel mm-hmm. like Isis is one of those bands where you shouldn't wear that T-shirt out in public. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, it feels kind of – so Isis are very sort of sludge meets post-rock meets atmospheric meets kind of ambient sort of uh, yeah. metal. And uh, it sounds like especially the digga 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 element of this band of uh, Maserati it feels this at least with this album anyway it feels like Isis if they were playing like a a uh, soundtrack to being on a train yeah um, yeah yeah like yeah. There was, there's constant movement involved with the, the music where it lifts and you know um, yeah. yeah 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 it's it's definitely got the the feeling of sort of uh definite uh, Christ, uh well um extended crescendo and then decrescendo and then yeah. sort of goes into several different movements i wonder if in sort of three four hundred years if history will go back and look at bands like this and isis and then look at them with the same sort of reverence that we do for like beethoven and you know and all those types of composers because this really is it's 
it's four or five people composing something. It's not exactly a song. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could argue that the the track is the 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 vocal part of it is being played by you know an instrument of some description, but it definitely feels like a composition more than sort of you know a four minute track. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And you won't find a four minute track on this album. No. Um, so. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, they they you know experimented with sounds, and I I kind of do uh, tend to go away from music that sounds like this, where it's it's a little bit you know self absorbed, and uh, mm. you know you're you're uh, just at one point just making sounds, but even though there's no lyrics, there's there's a build and a lift, uh, there's a drop, uh, so you do get that that vibe after you listen to it. It's a definitely. Like you have to listen to it three times before you go, oh, I love this bit, I love that bit. And just uh, the drummer, though, um, uh, he's just uh, amazing. It's a shame that uh, he did pass away in 2009. Uh, that's a shame. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Especially considering you can tell with the music it's very sort of uh, delay, like it's hard delay-driven as well. Yeah. So yeah, that's a shame. Yeah, uh, Dan, you know, just uh, the fact that I, I never got to see them live, uh, just to, to hear just the echo on that, that guitar. If you just, yeah. yeah, you really need to hear it. I'm not going to redo it um, on a podcast, but yeah, it, it, it rattles <laughs> every single time I hear it. And it's definitely one of those ones I, I only listen to well in the car, but also on headphones. You know, mm. no other sound around me, and I'll crank that up. Yeah. So my something listenable is uh, by a band called These Arms Are Snakes, and the album title. And you know, listeners at home may want to write this down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's uh, Oxeneers or the Lion Sleeps When Its Antelope Goes Home. So um, I think they get points just for inventive uh, sort of album names. Now, in terms of this band, I saw them, funnily enough, with Isis. Um, now, Isis, uh, like I said, very much that kind of sludge meets ambient meets kind of s- sort of soundscape post-rock metal. This band is the exact opposite. To give you, if for people at home listening to this, if you are familiar with sort of your math rock history, then you'll remember a uh, band by the name of um, Botch. That's the name, Botch. Um, How are you spelling that? B O T C H, Botch. Botch. So, Botch were pretty much. Uh, the sort of one of the very first American uh, sort of hardcore bands that flirted with math rock. They're a definite influence on Dillinger Escape Plan uh, for those, uh, and Dillinger is probably the the sort of the shining example of anything sort of math metal. Mm. Uh, the base, the bassist who is responsible for a lot of the sort of mathy kind of uh, riffs in in Botch's earlier albums is. Um, the same bassist in These Arms Are Snakes. So this band is, it's kind of punk rock meets sort of uh, uh, that math rock kind of vibe with a little bit of, I would dare say, grunge elements into it um, uh, mixed with just uh, organic sort of pump organs and all those sorts of things. I mean, it kind of... Sounds like if 
Nirvana were going to create a math album. Um, it would yeah. probably sound a little bit like this because, um, and it's just a constant. I saw these guys live, and it's like a, it's a bit like a sort of an assault on your senses because there's so much happening in every part of the, uh, every part of the album, but very tight, very very rehearsed, and just but still has that sort of that feeling of not being overly produced. Yeah, even on a studio album or uh, on stage? Both. Yeah. I mean, on stage it was just utter, utter mayhem. You'd have the um, uh, yeah. the singer just jumping from, I uh, don't know if you've ever been to the Metro Theatre in Sydney, but it's sort of like your kind of 2,000 capacity uh, yeah. indoor venue, so pretty intimate. Yeah. Be like jumping from a stage, smashing bottles, cutting his arms, yeah, right. Um, uh, you know, drinking out of broken bottles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All the while, the band in the background is just uh, so tight and just, yeah. uh, just, uh, yeah, throwing themselves around as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty so, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bass player, or well, the bass in particular, was uh, interesting for me on this one because there was so many weird instrumentations here where there was a, an effect on that started most of the songs, and it felt like it was on the bass you know, more often yep. than not for these songs. So and the they, sort of the organ bits you hear, yeah. the bassist plays that stuff live. So yeah, he sort right. of, he alternates between the two. So, yeah. Um, yeah. It seemed like that, like, um, you know, I can't really comment on where they were when they were writing it, but uh, coming up with that to build like the base of a song and then on top of it, you know, you've got your, your lyrics. But to, to start off every song with an interesting bass sound, because a lot of it was not just a straight bass noise, it was... It was uh, augmented. It was it was, you know, high pitched squeals sometimes. Uh, but yeah, some great stuff. This band reminded me of because uh, I had never I've heard of them, but never heard them. Uh, okay. The, yep. The punk elements made me rem- uh, remind me of uh, the band Less Savvy Fav. Okay. And, and just the same spacey kind of arrangements as well, but the other chaos. Um, and then when they were at their tightest and most experimental, I, I got like an at the driving vibe as well. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. True. Yeah, it's a little bit relationship of commandish, isn't uh, it? Yeah, when when they they are off full chaos and screaming, and I did like yes. that because uh, there was some talking vocals, there was some I'm pissed off vocals, I'm singing vocals. <laughs> you know. Definitely. Um, there's the that control chaos, which I, I can't understand because if I play a guitar. I need to be focused and still. But the fact that these guys are throwing themselves around and, and Les Savvy Fab was the same style as well. Um, I remember watching mm. them at a, a very small venue in Brisbane and uh, I was a photographer for a music magazine at the time and he walked all the way through the crowd and jumped up on the the pool table that was at the back of the room and was just singing from there. I mean, these, these bands, like, and you can hear that kind of chaos in a studio album. I don't know how, how they do it. I don't really know how they do it. I don't know how you can pose something that complex and that layered. Um, but, yeah, it was great stuff. Thanks for that recommendation as well. That's all right. Um, I just kind of feel like if you're going to write anything with a punk rock aspect to it, it just it needs to look like this live and it needs to sound like this as an album. Yeah. It needs to be just utter mayhem. It can't just be, you know, the same sort of core progression in every single yeah. You know, 
offspring song. Yeah, yeah. Um, um. And I just like that about the, <laughs> the mid-2000s. Uh, there, there was some really great experimentation on guitars, and I think we've kind of lost that at the moment. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, yeah I'm just sure there's time. some bands out there that are doing it. Um, but, yeah, just that mid-2000 was like a, a breeding ground for it. Um, some great stuff. Um, and I think uh, when a, a band or a piece of music is that complex, what it does is it silts out the wheat from the chaff. You know what I mean? Like if you don't mm. understand it or if you can't sit time with this, then you don't, you're not going to get it. Uh, but if you do sit with this and maybe give it that second or third listen, uh, it, it just, there are like some really complex rhythms in there uh, and you do start to see that. Um, you get rewarded for the time you put in for it. Yeah. Mm. Excellent. All right, let's do the verdicts. Now, in terms of your something watchable, I would say that definitely is my kind of weird. Obviously, I haven't seen any of the WandaVision episodes yet, but that's something I'm definitely going to check out. In terms of my something watchable, what did you think of Memento? Is that your kind of weird? That is my kind of weird, uh, definitely. Uh, just uh, the amount of uh, risks they took with the storytelling, uh, making it that complex, but then still conducive, like, uh, Christopher Nolan's a talent, both behind the camera yeah. and, you know, with a pen. He's fantastic. Okay. In terms of something, you're something uh, readable, I would definitely say that uh, A Walk Through Hell by Garth Ennis is my kind of weird. I'm a big fan of, like I said, his, you know, his cultural commentary, his, uh, I guess, the extremes that he goes to with his storytelling are just kind of, my amount of extreme, and it's interesting. He always sort of, you know, gets right to that the tip, the precipice of what is too much, but never goes too far over. Yeah. And um, yeah, that would, that would, yeah, definitely my kind of weird. What did you think of King of Nowhere? Is that your kind of weird? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's just the the um, the build up to it. Uh, the, the unknown, uh, but it was the art style mm. that really got me, especially the uh, the colouring, uh, using watercolours, uh, starting yes. the story out like a dream is that's a that's a masterstroke really. And it always it almost felt a little graffiti ish in terms of when you finish spraying the the can and then you allow sort of that effect for the the sort of the ink to run down. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the sort of it felt like that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great stuff. Now. In terms of something listenable, uh, I would definitely check out more of Maserati. I feel like this album is good. It's definitely going to be on my playlist for whenever I'm writing. I sort of I don't make the mistake of listening to something that has lyrics, so I listen to a lot of instrumental stuff. Um, and uh, this is something I'm definitely going to put in the playlist. Cool. Um, as far as uh, These Arms Are Snakes album, Oxeneers or the lion sleeps when its antelope goes home. Is that your kind of weird, Aaron? If anything, just a name. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, this is uh, the type of album where if I have a really bad day, I'll, uh, yeah. you know, I'll get home and either I'll crack metal or I'll crack those kind of sound punk bands that are just let it all out. Yeah. Um, and even though I've only listened to it twice now, uh, but yeah, as soon as, you know, I may be on my 10th run through, I'll be singing the lyrics and air guitar and drumming <laughs> and it, it's really great stuff. And if, uh, 
you want to add something else to your playlist, even just to go and check out that that band, Less Savvy Fab. It's a really good one to check out. But yeah, definitely uh, these Arms of Snakes are one I'll have on my playlist as well. That was a really weird, excellent, re- a really weird list that we put together. <laughs> <laughs> it's only going to get weirder as each episode goes by. Oh, good. good. <laughs> so uh, we're going to go on a quick sponsor break. And when we come back, I'm going to have a bit of a chat with Aaron about his comic book series, Morris and the Metal. Be right back. Hello again, everyone. Producer Andy here again. Last time I asked you to visit sodaandtelepaths.com to read all the latest on comics, science fiction and horror. Listen, I've been looking at the stats and I couldn't help but notice that not all of you went to the site. That's okay. You don't have to. But it would mean a tremendous amount to me if you did. As a reminder, on sodaandtelepaths.com you can read all the site's interviews with people in the entertainment industry. There are movie and comic reviews. There are opinion pieces. It's enlightening, entertaining and enlightening. Or do you not want to know about that stuff? Perhaps you have better things to be doing on the internet. Perhaps you know the keyboard shortcut to open up an incognito browser in Chrome. It's control shift N. Or maybe you have some self-respect. Maybe you don't consider that one dude who thumbs up all your weird comments on Pornhub your best friend. And if you are one of those wholesome types, then get yourself over to sodaandtelepaths.com. Okay? Please don't make me ask again. All right, Aaron. So tell the listeners a bit about Morris and the Metal. So it's uh, pretty much, uh, it's like an homage to sort of classic uh, heavy metal, but it also has a little bit of a superhero aspect to it, doesn't it? It does. Um it's uh, set in the Bay Area in 1985, so at the, the height of thrash metal, um, like yep. a really small community of kids that were just bored, you know, uh, would, they had to wait too long to get the, the metal from, from Europe and the UK, so they decided making it themselves. Uh, so mm-hmm. the story follows this kid called Maurice, and um, he unwittingly discovers that he, uh, he gets superhero strength whenever he listens to heavy metal. Uh, so as the um, as the the song get, if the song gets heavier, then he gets stronger. Um, and his kryptonite, gotcha. which every character I think needs, uh, or the Achilles heel, is every other genre of music. So when he listens mm. to pop music, he gets weak and disorientated. Um, which you know, in a house where his sister, as we all do, it happens to all of yeah, us. Yeah, uh, this is definitely a story of you know <laughs> what it was like living with my sister when I was fifteen. Uh, but the the character goes through this uh, journey, even in just the first two issues where um, he is robbed of one of the pieces of his drum kit and then in the second issue he has to go and track it down. Uh, and, you know, the, yeah. the I tried to make the comic for comic people but also for the metal crowd and for the greater music because uh, it is a story about that feeling that goes through you when you just do listen to a song that kind of, you know, jacks you up and you go, um, you know, if you were going to the gym, uh, you wouldn't listen to Simon and Garfunkel, you would listen to Slayer, you know, and for some reason, mm-hmm. you know, you would perform better in the gym. Um, 
and, and the story kind of came out of uh, it was really organic. A couple of like seven years ago, uh, I was I was on my way to work and I didn't know how I was going to get through the day. And uh, Metallica's Master of Puppets comes on, and all of a sudden I'm like stomping that pavement, getting to work, and uh, before I even got to the the front door of the the office, uh, I kind of said, you know, why not this be the fuel for a superhero? And uh, in that mm. first day, I kind of come up with 80% of the story. Uh, so mm. even just having that creative uh, inspiration and then the creative, you know, aftermath of it, that was that's what really has inspired me to just stick with it and uh, launch issue two and start working on issue three. Uh, but I tried to squeeze in as many of these jokes that the metal crowd will get and then the, the jokes that the comic crowd will get. It's hard not to, to work on a comic and reference the infinite number of other superheroes uh, and to, to try and separate this one using uh, metal as the, the theme. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a lot of fun, uh, a lot of fun. And some of the best feedback that I've been getting from the, from the book is because uh, I've, I've never done this before um, and I, I just, you know, you're constantly learning when you create your first comic. Uh, and the first one was 28 pages and I just didn't know how to squeeze in so much story, make sure I get the relevant stuff in. Uh, but the good feedback that I've been getting is people want to know what happens next. Uh, and I mm-hmm. take that as, as, as a really good sign. Obviously the art, you sort of opted more for a black and white, uh, I guess, well, as the final product. Uh, now tell us about the artist who, who was part, who, who was part of the project. Uh, the artist is uh, Jesse Ham. He's uh, a US-based artist. Uh, he's worked for Dark Horse and Boom and uh, done his own books as well. Um, that kind of uh, connection came through the studio that he's part of. It's just a collaboration of different illustrators uh, called uh, Helioscope in Portland. And uh, yep. I sent them an email about three years ago and I said, you know, I like the, the list of artists that you've got uh, and uh, interested in these ones. And uh, Jesse was the first one to get back to me out of about 20 20 pictures that I did to artists around the world. Uh, and yeah, right. when he, interesting. when he first sent me the, you know, people did get back to me and say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm busy. I don't have any time in my schedule. Um, mm. uh, but when Jesse did get back to me and he said, I need to see your script first. Cause if this is your first comic, you might be uh, like a nightmare client. You know what I mean? Like that kind of commission. Yeah, 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 yeah. Too, too needy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also uh, not giving enough information for the look of a panel or the flow of the story. Uh, or just a bad story, I guess. Uh, but yeah, no, I passed that first test, and uh, yeah, Jesse liked what I did, uh, even though you know he said he wasn't a comic fan. And uh, so we had a, this this back and forth on uh, the character development, uh, character design, sorry, uh, and what the characters were going to look like. And that first moment that I got to see Maurice as Jesse Ham imagined it, um, you know, that I knew we were on a winner there. Uh, but yeah, his style is, uh, I think it suits the time that the comic is set. Uh, it's, uh, kind of like the old, the old Archie's really, uh, traditional form of comic books. Uh, there's no big arms, big legs, and, you know, those patches that the nineties artists were doing everywhere and no big guns. And, you know, <laughs> just try to make it as, as, uh, as not just a, an easier comic to get into rather than the over the top. Uh, and I think the black and white does end like a, a grittiness to it. Uh, mm-hmm. Not too, you know, obviously Sin City style, but uh, yeah, no, Jesse Hamm just did an amazing job on that. Um, he he helped me out through the process the entire way as well. Uh, he's a great guy and a great illustrator. You know, I often tell people um, 
that he's probably drawn more comics than I've actually read. You know, he's been doing it for that long. He's, he's, he's fantastic. So as we speak, you just last night uh, did a launch to uh, for issue two, yep. um, and the launch was at a, well, it was a metal gig essentially. Uh, um, so yeah, it's, a, it's a venue called the uh, Netherworld. Uh, it's called a, it's like a barcade. So they've got uh, like just a whole room full of old arcade games and, um, and pinball. Uh, it's, a, it's a fantastic venue. Can you speak to what you've learned about approaching a comic book now that you're in your second, well, past your second issue, and because you uh, about how to promote a comic book by thinking outside the square? Because I mean, I've you know, I see a lot of comic book creators. I don't see any of them doing anything different, but at least this is sort of breaking the mold a little bit. What have you learnt and um, how would you, what is your experience there? Um, so I, I, I'm a graphic designer uh, and I, I predominantly do like marketing most of my, you know, working life. Um, this this was different though. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, a lot harder to, to break in, I think. Uh, and, you know, putting a post up on social media and then paying Mark Zuckerberg for it is not the best way to do it. Uh, it's the laziest way to do it. Um, it's the quickest way to, to get probably naysayers commenting back without, you know, having ever had to read the book. Uh, and it's a shame yeah. that, you know, 2020 was such a, uh, I like a, it's just a strange year, but, um, like I had planned to do all the comic cons and tour around and like, that's what I was looking forward to just getting that face to face. Um, but yeah, like the, there's Facebook groups to, to link up with, um, like you have to be really active. And I learned that the most when I was doing the Kickstarter to fund issue two. Um, so you're expecting your message in a bottle and you're throwing it into an ocean full of messages and bottles. You do have to get proactive and connect with people even on a one-to-one basis. Uh, Mm. yeah. And, and, you know, you do have to set all those other bases as well. You do have to post on social media regularly. Uh, you do have to have engaging content. Uh, you do have to know a little bit about the algorithm for Instagram and Facebook. So they, that constantly changes as well. But getting advice from that from people who are in the know is really good as well. Uh, and even just to give you like a, a rundown, like Instagram, they don't count uh, likes anymore. So a love heart on a, a picture is not counted as engagement. Uh, and apparently you need to, to have a comment that's worth more than three words. So if somebody just writes, oh, nice, that's uh, Instagram's going to push something that's getting engagement. Uh, so mm-hmm. Just make sure that whenever somebody does comment on one of your posts, you comment back within 10 minutes. Like it's, it's getting that crazy. Um, but yeah, that, that face-to-face, it's, it's so much better because uh, – looking at a JPEG of the cover of my comics, not the same as flicking through it. And I think that's mm. the reason why um, that print's never, ever going to die. Uh, Excellent. Yeah. So Aaron, where can people find you and your comic book online? Uh, online is my website, mauriceandthemetal.com. Uh, but you put a dash in between every word. I made it as long as possible. Like these arms are snakes. <laughs> uh, also issue one and issue two are on comicsology as well. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Facebook, Instagram, um, you know, if somebody wants to reach out and tell me what they thought of the book, you know, tell me what, if they need help with anything as well, because I'm, I'm, I'm here to help anybody who, you know, is part of the, uh, the indie comic scene. Excellent. Yeah. 
And that's it for another episode of My Kind of Weird. If you guys enjoyed my discussion with Aaron today, by all means, head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and a review. It really helps us out by getting the message out there. So uh, for My Kind of Weird, my name is Anthony. My guest has been Aaron. Aaron, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you. Thanks for the chat, Anthony. No worries. A lot of fun. See you guys later. Bye. Tired of ads crashing your comedy podcast party. Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free comedy to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.